Good morning, Crossroads. It's great to worship with you here this morning. Would you please stand as we worship? We lift praises to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe. So when I'll fight, I'll fight on my knees, with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. With every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. God, you see the empty tomb. So when I'll fight, I'll fight on my knees with my head lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at the feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Almighty oh, Lord, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. And almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I'll fight. 
and uh, and we're so thankful today for Reed and all that this God is blessing their family. And it wasn't long ago that we were up here with you guys either, right? Andrew was just being dedicated not long ago. So come on up over here. We'll just put you both together. All right. And take a look at Reed, all right? One for the boys, one for the girls. You see that? Man, a day. God bless you. We're so thankful for what God's doing in your family. And as we just continue to watch and see how God's blessing you and how he is uh, just growing your family. We're just so happy and so thankful for what God has done. Let's, let's just welcome these families this morning. I'm so thankful for them. I want to thank God for these families. You know, the, this is the blessing of a church. It really is. This is the, a church that is growing. And as God grows the church, God not only grows us numerically, not only does He grow us deeper, but He's also growing us by adding to our families. And uh, the Scriptures say that children are a heritage of the Lord. And so today as we stand here, we have the children are the heritage of the Lord. All right, if I could have a little bit of help over here, folks. Um, um, anyhow, all right, let's see here. If you, yes, thank you. I need a little bit of help over there. Thank you. So, uh, so this morning, I want to, I just want to thank God for all that we have in these families and just remember that children are a heritage of the Lord. And so these are the blessings of God. So God has given your family these wonderful blessings. And as we stand here today, we remember that these are the blessings of God. So God is doing his great work. Let's give these families another round of thankfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And so this is what God's called you to do as parents, is to, is to teach your children the things of God. I love what the scripture says there. Talk about them. Uh, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home. You know, a great place to talk about that is dinner. That's one of the few places we actually sit down in our world, right? Sit down and, uh, and have dinner with your kids. Talk to them about the things of Jesus. When you walk along the road, when you're taking them to those sporting practices that will be coming up very shortly, right, if they haven't started already, um, as you take them along life's journey, as you take them to school, as you take them places, we want to encourage you to walk along the journey with them and to teach them the things of God. And when you lie down and when you get up, you know, one of the greatest opportunities that you have to impress God upon your kids is to pray with them before they go to bed. Lay them down in that bed and mom and dad go in and pray over them and just let them hear dad pray. Let them hear mom pray. And you know what? Your kids will learn how to pray as they hear mom and dad pray. Especially dads, I'll tell you what, moms, moms have a lot of opportunities with the kids, and I want to encourage dads, jump in there and just get praying with them. And uh, it's just like talking, you know, whenever your kids learn how to talk, it's because they hear you talk. And your kids will learn how to pray as they hear you pray. And so today I want to just thank God for this opportunity for our families to raise these wonderful children uh, up to, to know the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so that's our, our, our proverb 
the book of Proverbs tells us that, man, if you do this, if you'll raise these children this way, that whenever they're old, God will keep his promise. And so I want to encourage you, lay the foundation in their life, and God will do the rest. Luke chapter 2.52 says that Jesus, when he was here on earth, he increased in wisdom and stature. So that means he increased mentally, increased physically, and, and, and then spiritually. He increased in favor with God and man. And so this is what God's called us to do, is to watch our children grow in favor with God and man, to love God and to love people. And so we're so thankful for you today. And I'm just going to pray over your children now and just ask the Lord to, to do his mighty, mighty work. All right. I'm going to start over here with grace this morning. And I'm just going to pray over you. And I'm actually going to be dedicating parents again as well because uh, it's a big job, isn't it? And you know that already. You feel the weight of it. And we are here as a church family. We're going to be surrounding you. And we're going to be asking God to move. All right. Father God, we come before you, Lord. And we just now lift up to you a little grace, Lord. We thank you for a little grace, Alexis. God, you gave Shane and Haley this beautiful baby, Lord. You've entrusted them, um, not with just a beautiful life, but uh, a life that will honor and serve the Lord. God, I pray for Shane and Haley as parents. Lord, put your hand upon them, and I ask that you will move in a mighty way and that you will encourage them, Lord. May they take seriously, as they already have, Lord, the commands of Jesus Christ to love God, to love people, to uh, instill these into their children, Lord. So we thank you for this morning for little grace, Lord, and we lift up grace before you. And I ask that you put your hand upon grace, and I ask that you will continue to move mightily. God, protect her, Lord. Keep her safe, Lord. Put your hand upon her, and as she hears the things of God from even a young age, Lord, even at this age where she can't even speak, you're... You've allowed her to be in an environment to, to hear songs of Jesus, to hear the scriptures, to hear them talked about at home. God, I pray your blessing upon little Gracie now, Lord. Keep her safe, and will you open her heart to trust you as her personal Savior at a very young age, Lord. And we see a, a life that will grow up to honor you, to bless you, and to honor your holy name. And so, Lord, I lift up Shane and Haley to you, Lord. I thank you for these folks, God. They, uh, they mean a lot to us in our church and our family, Lord. And so we just thank you for them. And we ask that you'll, we, that you'll put your hand of encouragement on them as they raise this wonderful baby, Lord, and their wonderful family. God, we now dedicate little Gracie to you, Lord. Little Grace Alexis, we dedicate her to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Father, we continue on this morning with little Reed. God, we're so thankful for Reed. We just thank you that uh, you've allowed Reed Philip Kevich, Lord, a blessing from God. Lord, you've given Amanda and Phil this wonderful, wonderful blessing of the Lord, um, a little boy who will grow up to honor and love you, Lord. God, we're so thankful for, for Phil and Amanda, God, and we just ask your blessing upon this family, God. Thank you as we have watched them grow in Christ. We're watching them get excited and, and, and just enjoy the things of Jesus, Lord. And as they are growing in you, Lord, they're learning how to love God and how to love people. And, Lord, as you're raising this family and this growing family, God, they stand here today with their entire family. And, and they're just looking for the blessing of God. And so, God, we ask your blessing upon this family. 
God, we know that you're working, that you've done mighty things already, and we give you the honor and the glory. And so, Lord, I just lift up to you this wonderful family for Amanda and Phil this morning, God. We thank you for them, and I ask your blessing upon them. And we just ask your blessing upon this wonderful little baby today, Lord. For little Reed, for Reed Philip, God, we just ask that you will protect him, Lord, that he may come to know you in a powerful way at a very young age, Lord. And so we're going to just dedicate him to you now, Lord, and we ask that you'll protect him, keep him safe. Allow him to grow, as the verse said, Luke 2.52, to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That he would learn to love God and to love people, Lord. Love you the most, Lord. And as you work in his heart, he'll love people, God. So thank you for fine parents here, Lord, for Philip and Amanda, God. I just ask your blessing upon them. And I'm going to just dedicate them as parents, Lord, for Phil and Amanda. We dedicate them as parents, and we just ask that you'll move mightily, Lord, and that you'll do what only you can do. Give them the strength and honor to raise these children, to love you, Lord, to, uh, to teach them the things of you whenever they walk down the street, whenever they sit down at home, whenever they bring them to church. Whenever they do, everything that they do, that they will model Jesus Christ, Lord. So, Lord, we come before you now, and we just lift up a little reed, Philip, before you, Lord. And we dedicate him now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's thank our great God for what he's done with these wonderful families. God bless Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're glad that you're all here. I want to encourage you. Be in, just be an encouragement to these families and be in prayer over these families as they raise their kids to know Jesus and to follow him. So what a, what a great morning so far. So, hey, I want to remind everybody, our mission at Crossroads is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And what Pastor Ken just shared, we do that by loving God, by loving others. And so uh, you're going to continue to hear about that, and we're going to keep fleshing that out. But again, you're just seeing our mission here. We're seeing people come to Christ all over this church, all over this community. So praise be to God for what he's doing. Can we thank God for that he is on the move and moving in people's lives? So families, we love you. We're encouraging you. Keep raising your kids to know and love Jesus. Um, Listen, I have one big announcement for everybody, um, and well, actually for all the ladies in the house, not for everybody. For all the ladies in the house, we have a, you have a retreat coming up April 26th through 28th. And so on the screen is a little QR code. There's going to be a table in the lobby. If you're interested, uh, head to our website as well. And I encourage you, I know, you know, just going on retreats for myself, you know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, even being a, a people person, I call myself an extrovert with limits. So that one might be a new one for you. But I like to grab somebody else to come with me on a retreat. And so, ladies, I encourage you, maybe you're feeling like I'm on the fence, not 100% sure, grab another lady to come with you and sign up for the retreat together. That's a great way to, to jump into this retreat. Um, the theme for this retreat is to make heaven crowded. And so two things, they're going to focus on what's my perspective of heaven, you know, what, what do I know about heaven? What does, more importantly, what does scripture say about heaven? But then the second thing is, you know, how do we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can crowd heaven? So this is going to be a really powerful weekend. It's obviously going to be just great to get away, all you ladies, so I encourage you to sign up. If you have any questions, there's going to be a team in the lobby uh, in the foyer you can talk to. Go on our website. You can see more information and get registered for that, which is going to be April 26th to the 28th. And so it's going to be a really powerful weekend. Men, I encourage you, the ladies in your life, encourage them and challenge them to be on this retreat. Make it happen. 
Make it happen. Um, and so if you have any questions, ladies, you can find us at the Welcome Center. Go to that table in the foyer, and that team will be out there to help answer any questions. But church, as we continue on this morning, would you stand with me in the house? I want to welcome those joining us online uh, and all of our guests here in the building. Please step by the Welcome Center uh, on your way out. We'd love to just give you a gift and just connect with you. And uh, church, you rock. You are amazing, and thank you for being faithful and giving. Uh, you can give online through the mail or using the offering boxes here at the church. But God is growing us, and so we're going to ask him to just move right now as we continue on. Lord God, we humbly just approach your throne. God, you tell us to be bold and confident when we approach your throne. And then, so, God, we are. We're coming before you, God, and we are acknowledging, Lord, that we just need you. God, I think it's in the moments where we think we don't need you, God, that we, we don't realize how broken we are. So, Lord, in this moment, we recognize we are broken. Lord, we are beggars, and we need the bread. We need your truth. There is no truth outside of your word in existence, God. It is only found in your word. And the only life change that we're ever going to experience in this lifetime is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, this morning as we meet with you, as we just worship you, God, we acknowledge that you are God, that we are not. We acknowledge, Lord, all the blessings we recount, as the psalmist says, all of the blessings that you have showered down upon us, Lord. We thank you for the roof that we sit under. We thank you for the heat of this building, God. We thank you for the seats that we're sitting on. Lord, we thank you for technology, all these different things, God, even though sometimes it doesn't work. We still thank you for it. Um, but, Lord, we are just grateful for the families that were just on stage. We praise you for the, as they raise their kids to know and love you. We praise you, Lord, for this retreat for all the ladies. I pray that it would be the biggest, most life-changing retreat, God, that, that many women would just know you deeply and follow you deeply, God, follow you more intimately. We just pray for all these things, for our kids downstairs, for the teens next door. God, we just lift you up and praise you in this church. Would you be worshipped and adored, Lord, this morning as a result of all of us gathering under one name, and that is Jesus Christ. We love you. We leave all of the things that are on our hearts right now. We leave them at your feet. God be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Like 
God be the glory. Church, you may be seated. It's meant to be opened, explored, pursued. It's made to be read, reread, applied, and used. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, with wisdom, life changing to lead us on. It's made for guidance to teach us His ways, showing what's true, right, and worthy of praise. It's meant to be hidden deep in our hearts, daily examined as the morning starts. No greater glimpse of God do we have, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we've been talking about how can I trust the Bible, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today talking about how I can trust the Bible, give you some more reasons. Last week we started on the inside of the Bible, this week we're going to look from things on the outside of the Bible. But uh, before I jump into that, I just want to pause 
and uh, and celebrate one moment. You know, this is Super Bowl Sunday, right? So there's uh, there's a not much to celebrate in Pittsburgh because you know Pittsburgh's not in it. Uh, but seven is on the way. I'll just tell you that. All right. So anyhow, uh, we. Uh, we have something to celebrate here this morning, and I want to just update you where that birthday gift to Jesus finally ended up, you know. Um, we, we asked you to pray, look over all those missionaries, and pray and pray and pray and ask God for his provision. And you as a church raised just shy of $170,000 that went out to missions. Isn't that awesome? Let's thank God. Amen. And so those, uh, we have been able to bless those folks. It's like 169 and, and a half just about there. So we're just so thankful for what God has done and to God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen. We honor him, we praise him, and we worship him. So we're feeding orphans in Haiti. We're feeding orphans in Ecuador. We're feeding orphans all around the world. We're helping uh, missionaries all around the world. We're helping people get the good news of Jesus out. It's the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we talk about here every week. We're trying to help you learn how to love God, to love people, how to become a follower of Jesus Christ, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And as you grow in this, one of the most important things we talked about was prayer, and now we're talking about the Word. And so I'm giving you kind of a, 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 a lesson here this morning on why you can trust the Bible. You know, many people will tell you that they don't trust the Bible, and they have all their reasons that they'll listen, uh, that they'll give you for it. But this morning, before I jump into a bunch of those reasons and I jump into some of the things that you can give you some reason that you can trust the Bible, I want to go to the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and I want to show you what is uh, what I believe is the, the very first lie, the very first ancient lie that we see that has been tried to be given to mankind, not from God, but from the enemy. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman... Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, yelling good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and then, uh, and then they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made clothing for themselves." And so I want us to catch this this morning, that this is really, as you go through here, the ancient lie that Satan has worked on the people of God, actually on every human being. He has worked from the very beginning of time, and it's this, that I can't trust God's word. You see, God came around, and uh, they had fellowship. Adam and Eve enjoyed walking and talking with God, and God said, here's, here's, here's everything. I've given you everything. There's one tree you shall not eat of. He didn't even say, don't touch. I just want you to catch that, because Eve, when she responded, she added her two cents on it. Uh, don't even touch it. He says, you shall not eat of it, or you will die. 
And so this was out of all everything in the whole place, like one tree you can't have. You have you can have all the other varieties of fruit and all the other varieties of uh, of good things that, that that he made, fruits and vegetables. You can have it all, but one tree you cannot eat of. You know, I always tell you that's why whenever you you know we have these babies up here. We dedicate the babies. You will never have to teach your babies how to say no. They know how to do that pretty much on their own, right? You will never have to, you know, if you tell your baby, don't, don't go over, uh, you know, just tell a little toddler, don't go over and touch that outlet on the wall. And I've told you this before, they will go over and they'll lick that outlet after you tell them that, okay? It's just human nature, right? That's what we do. And so this is where Adam and Eve are at. God said, don't eat of this one tree or you will die. Now, God makes a promise and God keeps his promise. And so whenever Eve hears from the serpent, the serpent says, "Okay, you know, surely you're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to become like him. What What are you thinking? Go ahead, have a bite. And what does she do? She makes the first sin. And this has been the the whole concept is that you can't trust God. You can't trust God and you can't trust his word. Surely you're not going to die. And with that, death enters into the picture. Uh, you know, many people will say that you can't trust the word of God. They'll say, well, the Bible is not the same. You know, it's kind of like, you know, how's it, get, how's it get, get to us the same? It's like playing the telephone game. You remember whenever you were young and you played the telephone game and you went around, you start out with one phrase, you know, and it's like, you know, the sky is blue. By the time it gets on the other side, it's like the sky is orange or, you know, or the blue is whatever. It, it becomes totally different. Or it's like sitting and having a conversation with me as my hearing's going as I'm getting older, you know. It's really fun to sit at the table with me because everything they say, I go, huh, what? Okay. And I have to, and you have to, and I have to tell you what I think you said. And this is where people think the Bible is, right? Uh, the Bible will, people will say that the Bible has constant contradictions. And I will tell you that there are issues that, that we can show you, but they're not contradictions. Um, the Bible in itself, and we talked last week about all the unity of the Bible, how it was written, how God used men, 40 men, all over a, uh, on three different continents of a geographic uh, span, over a time span of 1,500 years, and how God put it together. The Bible is the number one best-selling book of all times. And if you go and you Google and you'll say, you say, what is the, what, what are the top ten best-selling books? Let me give you a couple of the, the top, uh, best-selling books. There's Don Quixote. Never read it. I don't have a clue what it's about. But there were 500 million copies sold of that. 500 million copies of Don Quixote. A Tale of Two Cities. We're getting a little bit closer. That's Charles Dickens. There were 150 million copies of that sold. The, the Little Prince, 142 million. And here's one that maybe many of you might have read. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, right? 107 million. But let me give you a little bit on the Bible. The Guinness Book of World Records, if you go to the Guinness Book of World Records site, you will see that they list that the number one best-selling book of all time that has broken every record is the Christian Bible. Five billion that's a conservative estimate, 5 billion. 
This was in 2021. Their site says that the best-selling book of all time is the Christian Bible that you and I walk around and hold in our hands. It is impossible to know exactly how many copies have been printed in the roughly 1,500 years since its contents were standardized. But research conducted by the British and Foreign Foreign Bible Society in 2021 suggests that that total number probably lies between 5 and 7 billion copies. Don Quixote, you're on your way, aren't you? 500 million. Yeah, listen, this is, this is like incredible. When you think about this, this was a book that was inspired by God. It was preserved by God. And now it's going out worldwide. That When that all changed, I want you to think about this because up until we had the printing press, uh, every, everything that we have today in the form of a book comes off of a printing press. The first printing press was the Gutenberg printing press in the 1400s. Do you know the very first book that was printed on the printing press was the Bible? The very first book. And so as you look at this and you see this, you say, wow, look what God did. Now, God sets the stage for his word to go forth. Like when you think of the whole timing of when Jesus came, you think of the whole timing of these of these authors and how they wrote this and how God used them to write his words, his inspired word. I, I want I just want to share with you a story here. I read the story about a fellow, his name was Chris Brown, his grandfather had a Babe Ruth baseball, was assigned Babe Ruth baseball in his grandfather's closet. And the family had talked about it. That baseball was sold here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at, a, at the playoff, I'm sorry, at the, um, at the games in the middle of the summer. Okay, I'm going to read it here. The ball sat in a cardboard box. This is from the Tribune Review here, Pittsburgh Trib, 2006, July 12, 2006. The ball sat in a cardboard box in a closet for the past decade. On Tuesday, it fetched $805,000 to highlight the day-long memorabilia auction held at the Major League Baseball Fan Fest at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center downtown. We were grinning ear to ear, said Chris Bound of San Diego, whose late grandfather Earl caught the home run ball off Babe Ruth's bat at the inaugural All-Star Game in the 1933 at Comiskey Park in Chicago. So it was the very first, um, actually it was the only home run that Babe Ruth would hit in an All-Star Game. And at the very first All-Star Game nonetheless. Um, it, was the, it was the first All-Star home run. An anonymous bidder claimed the prize, one of the highest-priced baseballs ever sold at an auction. And as you go on and you hear how that they, he says, well, we didn't sell off our memories. We still have our memories, but we sold off a baseball. And what had happened was it was, this, it was Chris Brown's, uh, his, his uh, grandfather's ball, and uh, so his dad had always talked about it. And then after grandmother died, they were cleaning out the closet. And he says, you know what, we probably ought to sell that ball now. But they tried to do that 15 years earlier. 15 years earlier, they made calls to all the officials. And they said, hey, we have a signed Babe Ruth baseball. It's off the, off the bat of Babe Ruth. It's the very first home run of the very first all-star game ever played. And, uh, and they said, yeah, we have a lot of stories about that ball. There's a lot of people who claim that they have that ball. And so this person claims they have it, and this mayor claims that he had it, and he gave it away. And so there's all kinds of stories about that ball. So that was 15 years earlier. 
they come back around and they uh, send an email. And they, as the, after grandmother died, they go through the closet and they're finding inside the closet. They find the baseball again, but they also find the scrapbook. And in the scrapbook, they have validation that they were at that game for there were the ticket stubs of the exact place where they were sitting. They also found a newspaper article that printed their name in the paper and how that they had won the souvenir of a lifetime at this baseball game. And then they had a sworn affidavit that she had signed and sealed away many, many years ago, right after that all happened. And as they took that ball to auction this time, this time the people said, you have much more than a story now. You have validation. And today... That's the difference between an 8,000 ball and an $800,000 ball. And today I want to give you not just the story. We talk about the story all the time. Today I'm giving you a little validation of the story so that you can understand uh, where we're going. Um, it is so important that we have a, an understanding of who Jesus is, and we get that from his word. And so as we look at this word, this is the authority for living, and this word is inerrant, and it's infallible, the Bible teaches. And so I want to give you some of the things that we know. How do I know this is what they actually wrote? Well, I'm going to give you here, first of all, the, uh, the, uh, it, we can know the Bible, we can trust the Bible, because this. Let me give you to it like this. It is textually accurate. Um, think about this with me. The uh, Smithsonian uses different ways to verify ancient litter, uh, literature. So one of them is they have this chart. And I'm just going to put up some of the ancient literature here. There's the Iliad by Homer. If you go back and you look at the Iliad by Homer, you will see that this is like the classic piece of ancient, uh, 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 ancient writings that they can validate. We believe it was written in 800 B.C., the earliest copies that we have, the earliest manuscripts that we have, are 400 B.C. So that's a, a gap of 400 years, and we'll hit that coming in there. And that is, uh, what do we have there? We'll put that up. If we hit, There we go. We have 1,900 total manuscripts of that that we know now of, all right? So 1,900 manuscripts that date back to that 400 years in between. If you look at Plato, go over to Plato. You've, uh, Plato, if you want to, you took any courses in college, you've heard of Plato. You've heard of the philosophies of Plato, right? And people just go on and on and on about Plato. So we, it was written in 400 BC and, uh, and we have going over to 900 AD. That gap is approximately 1300 years, alright? 1300 years. And how many original manuscripts do they think they have? They think they have 210. You go to college and they're giving you all this 200, uh, all right, well, Plato said this, of all the philosophies, all right, 210. Uh, the Gallic Wars by Caesar, somewhere around 100 to 44 B.C., um, and, and then we have the earliest manuscripts for that is around 900 A.D., and look at how many copies we have of that. We have 250 copies of the Gallic Wars that go back to that time frame. So consider that span of years. Um, I want you to look at the history of Rome here by Livy. Uh, in 50, we have 59 B.C. to 17 A.D. Look at the 4th century. Look at the, a copy that goes back to the 4th century. We have one. Go back to the 17 A.D. We have 19. And so you, you see, like, all right, so the Smithsonian says, we can validate, we have all this. Now, let me give you a little bit about the New Testament. 
The New Testament written in 50 to 100 A.D., all right? The earliest manuscripts that we have go back to 100 to 200 A.D. So it was written 50 to 100. The earliest manuscripts come alongside right in the next 100 years, anywhere from 100 to 200 A.D. Closest we got, and look how many we have of this, 5,600 at that time mark. If you were to go to 130 A.D., you would see that there were, that's 50 years after, you'll see that we have fragments that date back to 50 years after. If you go to 200 A.D., we have books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You'll see that we have books. If you go to 250 A.D., you'll see that's 150 years after it's written. We have the complete manuscript to, um, of, of the New Testament. 325 A.D. is where we get the figure 5600. If you go to uh, manuscripts that go back to 400 to 500 A.D., we have 24,600 manuscripts, and that's just 400 years. So when the Smithsonian says, hey, yeah, Iliad by Homer, uh, you come down here, if we were to take the same 400 for the New Testament, that figure is 26,000. Folks, do you know what you're holding in your hand? Do you know what you're carrying? Do you know who this is that you, that you get to hear from every day? You are getting to hear from the word of the Lord. There is no, no, look what F.F. F. Bruce says. I love this quote. He says, there is no body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. There is no body of ancient literature that has this kind of support as the New Testament. And so as you look and you read God's word, I want you to be confident and sure that you have the living word of God in your hands. Man, what a powerful thing. Do you know that uh, up until uh, if they, they go and they looked at church fathers, what did the church leaders, how often was it quoted by like, how often was the New Testament quoted? By 300 A.D., it was quoted 36,000 times by the fathers of the church who would be in their writings. People such as Eusebius, Arrhenius, Orion, Polycarp, Clement of Rome. And 36,000 citations to the Word of God. And here we are today. We're still quoting the Word of God uh, several thousand years later. No one questions the authenticity of the historical books of antiquity because we do not have the very first original copy. Yet we have few manuscripts of those works. Uh, yet we have fewer manuscripts of those works than we have of the New Testament. So, folks, the story, the validation behind the story, let me tell you, your faith is not a leap in the dark. Your faith is on the facts, the facts that Jesus did die on the cross that he was buried, and that he rose again. It's recorded right here. Everything in this book is true, and you can... Listen, I, and I want to tell you, you may be a skeptic this morning. And I, you hear me say this often. It's my favorite line. Skeptics are welcome here in this church. I, I'm convinced. If you will go for it and dig in and see who Jesus is, and just, just read the Bible. You know, many people who have problems with the Bible have never read the Bible. Uh, they have problems with Christians. <laughs> And that's so true, because Christians, some of them are nuts. 
None of them here, but some of them are nuts, right? Yeah, that can just happen out there, right? But let me tell you the truth behind the story. Some people know how to give truth without grace. And some people know how to give grace without truth. But Jesus was the ultimate example of grace and truth together. Amen? Um, I want you to consider here that this uh, it's archaeologically accurate. Good thing I printed that on the screen for you, right? Archaeologically accurate. Um, if you were to go and see how the scribes from 450 to 950, uh, 450 BC to 950 AD, the scribes, the scribes who were in charge of the transmission, so they would take the scroll. So you have the original, and then they would come, and they would have to write them. So the, the, word, word. And they would have to transfer this word for word. These scribes, they would have to go through eight years of training before they could get onto the team to actually transcribe. Their sole purpose in life was to transcribe what was written on ink and uh, written in ink and on papyrus and put it onto the new ink and papyrus and parchment. 1500, uh, 1,500 years, the Jewish scribes would be in charge of this, and they would do this. And so they would come along, and they would take over, you know, put the T and the H, come over and put the T and the H, and they would count every page, every word was counted, every middle word was counted. They had, um, uh, there was, the margins had to be just perfect. They would come along, and uh, the words had to be perfectly straight. They would take this, they measured this thing out, they would know the letter count in every line of the scroll. Every line, they would know the letter count. They would know the middle word. And so what they would do is, there was no photocopy. This was how it was done. And so the scribes took such great care to translate the word of God, trans, not translate, to transcribe the word of God, that they would, that the, that the upper authority would come in and say, okay, Ken, Scribe Ken, you were working on this. Let's look at this. And if there was one letter off, they destroyed your whole copy. It went into the fire. What they would do is they want to say, look, if I lay this over top of the original, is this a complete, exact copy? And so that's how the scribes were doing it. And so this is what we get our Old Testament from. They would verify every word. They verified the middle word of the book. They verified the middle word of the page. Uh, they had to be right on it. The text was identical. So as you go through those 26,000 manuscripts that we have dating back to that era, I want you to know that, uh, that it's remarkably how incredibly close that they are. And when, when we have that verification, like there's 26 manuscripts, 26,000 manuscripts that are saying, man, these are copies. These were handwritten copies. You have this validation of the word from God that you can walk around with. Today, you can download it on your phone. You can go anywhere with the Word of God. We have it in every language around the world. I shouldn't say every language. We're still getting to many of those languages. But it's going out and God is moving. And so, whenever the scribes got to the name of God, you know what the scribe would have to do? The scribe would have to stop and go bathe. And he would come back and before he actually wrote the name of God, he would have to get a new pen and new ink and just to write the name of God. Now imagine whenever you got into the Psalms. And it says, oh God, you are my God. I will ever praise you, God. 
And they just keep saying the name God over and over. Imagine that was your husband that was a scribe. He come home, you're like, honey, you smell pretty good today, don't you, huh? He was bathing all day. He was in the Psalms, right? I, I want you to catch this because that's the great degree that they took to care for, for that. Um, you know, people will give you all kind of uh, opposition to the Word of God. They'll say, ah, yeah, look at Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Um, but, you know, according to history, there was really no, nobody wrote in that catalog type of form that he wrote. There was nobody, there was, we didn't see that commonly in that era whenever he wrote that. And that was an opposition until 1974 when archaeologists uncovered the Ebla tablets. And when they uncovered the Ebla tablets, um, the entire library was stacked books upon books like this on these tablets. And they fell, they broke all over the, show, uh, all over the shelves. They were dated at the time of Moses. They were found in the, in the land of Canaan, which is the same area of Moses. The type of documentation did exist outside of the Bible at the time of Moses, and that was the big opposition for many people. Other people will say, well, there were no camels in the days of Moses, and Moses is talking about camels, and it wasn't introduced in Palestine for another thousand years. Um, However, uh, in the same digs, they come now, as they find the Ablatabas, they find references to camels in the very same time period. Most of the Old Testament centers on kings and God working through these people, um, through history. And, uh, and people will say, well, history didn't give us an account of King David, Solomon, Moabites occupied the land until then. That was until 1870, whenever the Mesha still was uncovered. Talked about a Moabite king proclaiming victory over the people in the land of Canaan, the Israeli people. 34 lines describing the battle in 2 Kings chapter 3 were from this mesh of steel. 34 lines from extra biblical that describing the battle that was described in 2 Kings chapter 3. Uh, 1993, the Tel Dan still mentioned King David. 13 lines inscribing a victory over King David. As you go to uh, go, go through artifacts, you'll see that, and listen, we could spend weeks upon weeks on the artifacts, like the archaeological digs that have been found. So if you were to go to uh, think about David and Goliath, well, there was no verification of this giant named David, uh, I'm sorry, this giant named Goliath. Well, um, they found an artifact of the uh, pottery, broken pottery, pottery shards showing Goliath. And what about Jesus? Then people say, oh, yeah, Jesus wasn't really crucified. Oh, well, they didn't even crucify people back then. What, what are you talking about? Well, people, a lot of people had that until 1968, whenever they found a tomb in Jerusalem with many bodies, one that still had a nail in the foot, dated back to 50 A.D., Folks, I want to tell you that what you are walking around and holding in your hand is something you can live your life by. And if God says something in here, I assure you that just like he kept his promise with Eve, that the soul that sins that must die, God does the same today. Do not take this word lightly. Do not just fluff it off. Pontius Pilate, 1961, there was a, 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 a dig, found out some artifacts that was on a column, a part of a column in an amphitheater with the inscription, Pontius Pilate, governor of Judah. 
the prefect. And so we, we see these inscriptions on these artifact digs. Um, if you go over to 1947, there was a discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. There were two Bedouin sheep, uh, sheep herders. They were, uh, they were out, they were cousins, and they were out watching their goats. Sorry, their goats, Bedouin goat herders, right? Watching their goats, and uh, they, were, they were up around the ravines and the Gettys north of the Red Sea. And so what they would do is, uh, you know, when your animals start to run away, they would just take a stone, and they would throw the stone on up, and it would scare the animal, and the animal would come running back to its shepherd. And so these shepherds took the stone and they threw it up and like they normally would into kind of a cave area. And as they threw it up, it didn't make the normal sound. It made kind of a thud sound. So they said, let's go up and see what that is. And as they went in, in 1947, these two brothers discovered all this pottery that was in there. And they took home a few of the pottery. And then it turns into a dig site. And there were 11 caves that unearthed thousands upon thousands of scrolls. And in that, now remember, we've been following the Bible for many, many years. In that, every single book in our Old Testament was unearthed and it was predated 125 B.C. You want to go back to like find out, do we have the Word of God? We have the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you today to understand that God has given you His Word. Uh, we have in the Bible, Luke was a historian. Uh, you got to understand this. There, there were people who set out, a guy by the name of William Mitchell Ramsey, he set out, he was an atheist. He discredited everything about Christianity, and he set out to disprove the Bible and to disprove it by going on these archaeology digs. And so he went out, and William Mitchell says this. Um, first of all, I want, once you catch this here, I'm going to go to what, what he found out about Acts and Luke. The book of uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts and Luke, and he mentions in there 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands. Folks, the Bible is historically accurate. It's not just, hey, we have this text. It's historically accurate. So what happened? William Mitchell, he goes out, and, uh, and he says, I'm going to, I want to see what this is all about. He goes out on the dig, and look what he says here. He says, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, but he should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect to its trustworthiness. And what happened with Mitchell Ramsey? Mitchell Ramsey, he shocked the whole world after 30 years trying to disprove the Bible. He became a Christian. Folks, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Not only is it accurate from all these areas, I want you to catch it, it's scientifically accurate. I always hear people say, well, how can the, the Bible can't be true? It doesn't understand science. Well, it's, it's not a book that you're going to learn how to build a rocket, I'll just tell you that. But let me tell you, truth never changes. I like what Johannes Kepler says here. Johannes Kepler says, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. And let me explain this here. What, what I'm talking about this is, is that the science constantly changes. If you are being treated for cancer right now, your doctor will tell you that what we knew three years ago, we don't treat like that anymore. Why? Because we've had new discoveries and we've learned more and we've learned there's a better way to treat the cancer. We're learning more about cancer. 
That's science. If you have been reading the Bible a thousand years ago, or 700 years ago, or 500 years ago, what the Bible says would not have matched the science of that day because science wasn't up to date. Look at Psalm 148, verse 5. It says, let every created thing, that's the whole universe, give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command. So what he says here is that God set the rules in motion. He put the law of thermodynamics in motion. He put the law of physics in motion, and they came into being. He set them in place forever, and his decree will never be revoked. You see... The second law of thermodynamics doesn't work today and not work tomorrow. It always works because it was true and it was made by God. Truth does not change. Remember that. Say that with me. Truth does not change. Um, that's why the world that we're living in today, people say, well, I have my truth. You have your truth. That is not true. <laughs> That'd be like me saying, you know, I just got back from a trip down to Florida. Be like me going to that door that you heard every now and then somebody does in the middle of the plane, the exit row. Be like me going to the exit door and opening it and jumping out and saying, well, my truth is that I can fly. The truth is I can fly in a plane. The truth is that gravity is still in charge. And I think, you know, I'm going to just show my ignorance. I think I'll fall faster than most of you. But, but let me tell you here, the truth of God. See, when we have God's truth, there is no, you can't say, well, well, the, God didn't mean this. I'm going to change what I, look, it's God's truth. If God said it, I believe it. No prevailing science of the day in the Bible was ahead of, uh, nobody of the prevailing, prevailing science of the day in the Bible was ahead of the Bible. Let me just give you this. Isaiah 40, chapter 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And his inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Isaiah, this was written roughly 700 B.C. What's been the prevailing science of the view of the earth? So that it was flat up until 100 years ago. If God would have took the prevailing science of the day and put it into the Bible and said, hey, it's a flat earth, he who sits above the flat earth, it's been outdated. But God, the truth, never changes. And because, and listen, the historians, the, 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 the scientists of the day, let me tell you what they did. They rejected God's word. We know it's not that. Uh, how about the, how, it says, he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Did you know that up until roughly a hundred years ago or so, they thought there were only a thousand stars? They thought there were only a thousand stars. And now, it wasn't until it was Hubble came along that they invented this, the Hubble telescope. He said, hey, there's more stars out there. Let me show you what the scripture says here. Go to Jeremiah, the verse in Jeremiah. Check this out. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured. Oh, we believe there's 1,022 stars. And then another guy came up and he said there's actually 1,026. 
And you know what? We just found out this past couple of weeks. I'm so excited about this. I'm going to show it to you again. We discovered 19 more new galaxies. Check these out. I mean, they're beautiful. They've got this Webb telescope. Just go, 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 go search out the Webb telescope. I mean, this is incredible. He who sits on the throne, the circle of the earth, he, uh, the stars cannot be numbered. This was all given to us before we were born, before science could catch up to the Bible. And people say, well, the Bible doesn't understand science. No, science doesn't understand the Bible. Because the truth is already there. And folks, I want to encourage you. What I've given you today is just a little bit of some of the papers behind the story. These are some of the things that you can take and you can use. But I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, we've got to remember this. That the word of God will last forever. Matthew 5.18, Jesus said this. He said, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. The Bible will outlast your life. Not one jot, one tittle. What is that? That is the little, these are the little Hebrew inflections. They almost caused me to not get out of seminary. I should still be there. I can't see them. I took an online Hebrew course. Do you know what that is? That's torture. <laughs> All these little things. Because if it has this little thing here, it changes the gender. If it has the little thing over here, it changes the tense. And it's like, wow, those people were brilliant. And Jesus said, not one of those little markings that tell you what I'm trying to say will pass away until heaven and earth passes away. Folks, I'm giving you my heart and soul today. This is, this is where you need to live your life. This will outlast any football game. Think about this. As much as I'm sad that the Steelers aren't there, kind of glad so we're not humiliated tonight. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> as much as I'm glad that the Steelers are, uh, are I'm, not, I'm sorry, let's move on. All right. As much as I wish the Steelers were there, If we win that, you know what happens on a month from now? They start training to do it again. If you give your life to this, it will outlast any championship. It will outlast any fun. It will outlast your bank account. It will outlast you. And you can invest in other people with the Word of God. If you are a skeptic here today, I want to challenge you to do this. Go to the book of John. There's 66 books in here. I have books, Bibles in the foyer. Just go out to the resource table, take one for free. And, uh, and just start reading the book of John. It's the eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And all I'm asking you to do is read it. I'm just asking you to read it. And then when you're done with that, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just read the Bible. And I'll tell you what, I'll even make a deal with you. If you'd like to talk about it, there's people in the church who would love to talk to you about it. If you'd like to buy me coffee, I'll talk over anything. <laughs> if you buy me dinner, we could really talk about the Bible. <laughs> but here's what I'm saying. Listen. 
if you don't accept this, I'm still your friend. But I, because I am your friend, I beg you to accept this. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, I want to invite you to Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for your sin. He rose again once and for all forever. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. Folks, I've given you a lot of heart today with a lot of facts. But I want you to know that my faith is not a leap in the dark. My faith is on the fact that Jesus rose and that we have the word of God that is living and powerful and will transform your life. And all I'm asking you today is will you take a step? Will you take a step to seek? Like maybe you know somebody in your life that, that has really gotten into the Bible and you're like, why? You don't understand it. Maybe even get mad sometimes. I'm asking you to just take a try. Take a taste. Taste and see what he's like. Maybe you're ready to trust Christ. If that's you today, just pray and say, Dear God, I need you. I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and I ask that you be with each person as they respond to you throughout this day. Lord, as we walk out of this place with your holy living word, be honored and adored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Be polite on the parking lot. It's going to be fun out there.